أعوذ بالله من الشيطان اللعين الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد Assalamu alaikum dear brothers and sisters wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to another episode of the life of Prophet Muhammad. In our last episode we started a new discussion uh, on the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. We mentioned uh, the background story of, uh, of this important uh, turning point in the life of the Prophet and the story essentially began with a dream that the Prophet had. The Prophet sees a vision of himself and his companions performing the pilgrimage. Now, yes, there are some who who believe that you know the Prophet was intending on performing Umrah, but as we mentioned, it seems that when you look at the the narrations and the historical accounts, it's more likely that he saw a dream of himself performing uh, Hajj, performing the major major pilgrimage. So the Prophet he sees this dream. And, of course, the dreams of prophets are true visions. They're, uh, they're tantamount to revelation. The Prophet ﷺ, he then invites his companions to join him on this pilgrimage towards Mecca. Some of the munafiqeen, the, the A'rab, some of the Bedouins, they started to make excuses as to why they could not attend because... From their vantage point, returning to Mecca, going to Mecca, going to that, uh, stepping into enemy territory, if you will, uh, was incredibly dangerous. So the munafiqeen were reluctant. In fact, many of them outright refused. They would create excuses as to why they wanted to stay back. Nonetheless, the Prophet uh, is able to gather anywhere between 1400 to 1600 uh, of his companions um, some of the you know the highest estimations that i've seen is that there were upwards of 1800 who joined the prophet on this uh, on this journey towards mecca when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa is moving as he moves towards mecca the quraysh they receive word that the Prophet ﷺ is traveling with his companions unarmed. But of course they're suspicious. Um, they want to verify the intentions of the Prophet. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, to send a message that he comes in peace, he actually sets out for this pilgrimage on the first of the Qa'dah, which coincides with one of the four sacred months uh, that was even observed by the uh, uh, during the by the Arabs in the pre-Islamic era, so the Prophet ﷺ, to avoid any type of conflict, he goes off of the uh, the main road and he settles in an area in a valley known as Hudaybiyah. The Quraysh they start to send emissaries to the Prophet, you know, questioning him about. What he, intend, what he intends to do, why he is making this journey towards Mecca. And the Prophet ﷺ, he emphasizes to them that he is not coming for any war. He's simply coming to visit the sacred house, to perform the pilgrimage. 
So after a number of these emissaries come from Quraysh, and even some of the, the emissaries, they criticize Quraysh for being uh, so stubborn, for preventing the, the Prophet and the Muslims from uh, visiting the, uh, the Kaaba. To them, this was considered to be uh, a violation of you know, the, uh, the responsibilities that they had to allow people to come and visit. So after these emissaries from Quraysh, they come and they ask the Prophet, you know, what he's, what he's intending on doing. The Prophet ﷺ decides to send his own emissary to them. There is a report uh, by Ibn Ishaq, which is of course transmitted to us by Ibn Hisham. So Ibn Hisham says, uh, reporting from Ibn Ishaq, he says, وَحَدَّثَنِي بَعْضُ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ Ibn Ishaq says that some of the, the scholars, presumably uh, the historians, those who are uh, proficient in the science of hadith, who are experts in this field, they reported to me that Rasulullah da'a Kharash ibn Umayyah al-Khuza'i. The Prophet he summons Kharash ibn Umayyah al-Khuza'i. So he's from the the tribe of Khuza'a, and these individuals were, uh, they were allies of the Prophet, and uh, they were the ones who were actually providing the Muslims with their daily needs uh, when they camped, when they uh, set up their encampment in Hudaybiyah. The Prophet chooses this man, and he sends him to Mecca. He appoints him as, as his emissary, and the Prophet ﷺ, the narration says, فَبَعَثَهُ إِلَىٰ قُرَيْشِ the Prophet ﷺ, he has a camel, he was traveling with a camel, and the camel's name was Al-Tha'lab, which literally means uh, the fox. And he lends his own camel to Kharash, and he tells him, go ride into Mecca and communicate to the leaders of Quraysh, right? Communicate to the leaders of Quraysh the purpose which, with which I have come. Inform them that I haven't come to, to start a war. I've simply come. I'm here with my companions to perform the pilgrimage. Nothing else. I'm not looking for any conflict. I'm not looking for any trouble. So how did Quraysh respond to the Prophet's emissary? Ibn Ishaq says, فَعَقَوْ بِهِ جَمَلَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ So Quraysh, their response is that they kill the Prophet's camel. So imagine, they essentially destroy the vehicle of the Prophet's emissary. وَأَرَادُوا قَتْلَ And they also intended to kill the Prophet's emissary. Now of course, you know, in international law today, even today, you know, killing an ambassador, killing an emissary is essentially a declaration of war. So they intended on killing him. الأحابيش. The Ahabish, they were basically the tribe of uh, Hulais, that man who basically said that this covenant that we had uh, with, with, with the Quraysh, it, you know, we never agreed to bar people 
from performing the pilgrimage. We spoke a little bit about him in our previous episode. So the tribe of Hulais, uh, they prevent Quraysh from carrying out uh, the assassination. So they basically allowed him to go free so he's able to return to the Prophet So it's very clear that tensions are high. The, the Quraysh, they're responding in this way. They're responding with a tremendous amount of hostility. What they do is essentially a declaration of war. So the Prophet ﷺ, he decides to send someone else. So again, you know, look at how look at the the effort that the Prophet is putting to uh, you know de-escalate the situation. So according to Ibn Ishaq, the next thing that the Prophet does is he says, "Thumma da'a Umar ibn al-Khattab liyabathu ila Mecca." Then the Prophet, he summons Umar ibn al-Khattab. So the Prophet, he calls upon Umar and he wants to send him to the leaders of Quraysh to explain to them the purpose for which he has come. Again, to explain, to emphasize, to reiterate, that we are coming for only one purpose. We are coming in peace. We are not armed. We're not carrying anything more than what a normal Arab would be carrying when they travel. We're here to perform the pilgrimage and nothing else. So the Prophet ﷺ is essentially asking Umar to do this. He's giving him this mission. So what was Umar ibn al-Khattab's response? So this is in Ibn, this is in uh, this is according to Ibn Ishaq. فَقَالَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ إِنِّي أَخَافُ قُرَيْشًا عَلَى نَفْسِي He says, O Messenger of God, I fear Quraysh might hurt me. وَلَيْسَ بِمَكَّةَ مِنْ بَنِي بِنْ بَنِي عَدِ بْنِ كَعَبْ أَحَدٌ يَمْنَعُنِي And there's no one from my tribe in Mecca who will protect me. Now, it's important for, for, for us to pause here because here, Umar ibn al-Khattab is explicitly saying, the Prophet is telling him, go to Mecca and deliver this message to the leaders of Quraysh. His response is not, لَبَّيْكَ ya Rasulullah. He doesn't say that, I hear and I obey. No. He says, O Messenger of God, I fear Quraysh might hurt me. I have no one who's going to give me protection. You see, brothers and sisters, this contradicts the, the narrative that is put forward by our Sunni brothers and sisters, where they say that you know Umar was this rough and tough guy, this fearless guy, who when he converted to Islam, Islam was strengthened, you know, portraying him as this fearless companion is simply inconsistent with what we see in these reports. Rasulullah tells him, go to Mecca, speak to the leaders of Quraysh, notify them, inform them that we're, we're, we've come in peace. We simply want to perform the pilgrimage. Umar ibn al-Khattab says, Ya Rasulullah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid they're going to hurt me. I don't have anyone who's going to give me 
that assurance that I'm protected. My tribe is not going to offer me that protection. And then he says, وَقَدْ عَرَفَتْ قُرَيْشَ عَدَاوَةِ And Quraysh, they know how, how much I hate them. وَغِلْظَةِ عَلَيْهَا And they know what a harsh person I am, that I'm a very aggressive uh, and harsh individual. So again, this is also something important to keep in mind that Umar ibn al-Khattab here is telling us about his own character, his own temperament, his own disposition. So you know, when we, when we speak about you know, Fatimiyah, when we speak about the things that transpired after the, the death of the Prophet, it is not inconsistent with, his, with the, his own admission that he is someone who is harsh. Okay, He has غلظة, right? He has this harshness to him. So he says to the Prophet essentially that, Ya Rasulullah, I'm, I'm afraid to go. I'm afraid that they're going to hurt me. I don't have anyone to protect me if I enter Mecca. And I'm, I'm a harsh person. So what does he say? He says, وَلَكِنِّي أَدُلُّكَ عَلَىٰ رَجُلٍ أَعَزُّ بِهَا مِنِّي He says, but I, he says Ya Rasulullah, but I know someone else who could do a much better job than I can. Uthman ibn Affan. So here Umar ibn al-Khattab suggests that Uthman would make a better emissary. Why? Because Uthman ibn Affan is a member of one of the most influential clans within Mecca. He's, Uthman ibn Affan is a member of Bani Umayyah. Abu Sufyan is from Bani Umayyah. So Uthman has a strong tribe that can protect him. Right? So he has cousins and relatives and he knows that he, he will be safe if he enters into Mecca. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he sees that Umar ibn al-Khattab is not willing to enter, فَدَعَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمُ عُثْمَانِ بْنَ عَفَّانِ So the Prophet, he calls upon Uthman ibn Affan. فَبَعَثَهُ إِلَىٰ أَبِي سُفْيَانِ So the Prophet sends Uthman specifically to Abu Sufyan, who is the, the leader, He's, the chief of the the Umayyads, one of the most influential people, if not the most influential person uh, in Quraysh, in Mecca. So he sends him to Abu Sufyan and the other leaders of Quraysh. To do what? So again, the Prophet says to Uthman, go to Abu Sufyan and tell them that I haven't come for war. I've only come, tell them that I've only come to visit this sacred house, this house. And I've come to uh, venerate this house, and to sanctify this house. The narrations, the historical accounts, they tell us that Uthman ibn Affan, he enters Mecca, and he ends up staying there for three days. He stays there for three days. Now, of course, you know Uthman is one of the uh, he's one of the muhajirin, right? It's been a long time since he's seen his relatives. So presumably, what happens is that he goes and 
he has to go see this relative, that relative, and he delivers the message. However, he was prevented from leaving Mecca by his relatives. So when, when he arrives in Mecca, they don't let him go back. They say, no, you have to stay with us. So he basically disappears for three days. During that period, naturally, you know, everybody knows that Uthman was sent into Mecca as an emissary. There's no, there's no word from him. Imagine, he goes in three days, there's no information about Uthman's whereabouts. Rumors begin to circulate. Rumors begin to circulate that Uthman has been killed by Quraysh. They lured him in and, you know, they basically finished him off. They killed him. Now, in addition to Uthman entering Mecca, other Muhajireen also wanted to enter. They wanted to go and see their families because we are now at the sixth year after the Hijrah. So many of the Muhajireen, if not most of them, it's been about six years since they've seen their families, since they've seen their direct families, extended families, cousins, nieces, nephews. So many of the, a number of the Muhajireen, they decide to quietly slip into Mecca. They informally enter. They don't make it, they don't make a show out of it. They quietly enter Mecca to go visit their families. But again, those Muslims that entered Mecca, they're prevented from leaving. Right? Quraysh doesn't allow them to leave. So they're prevented from going back. They enter and now they, they can't go back to the Prophet's uh, camp in Hudaybiyah. So now when, when the Prophet sees this, it concerns him. And, you know, so these new developments, you know, now after all these years, you know, the Muslims are now making contact with their families. They're spending a lot of time with their families. The Prophet ﷺ decides that now is the best time to renew. So the Prophet, he's inspired to ask the companions to renew their pledge. That you know, I want to, you know, yes, you've seen your family, we're back in Mecca, but now I need to remind you of what we're doing. I need to remind you of our higher purpose. So the Prophet ﷺ, he calls upon the Sahaba, he calls upon the companions to give him, to renew their bay'ah to him to renew their their pledge of allegiance to him. So, so far we've had the, uh, the first Aqaba pledge that we spoke about in our earlier episodes, the second Aqaba pledge, and now we have what is known as Bay'atul Ridwan. So this pledge, you know, this covenant that took place in Hudaybiyah is known as Bay'atul Ridwan. So the Prophet he sits under the shade of an acacia tree and the pilgrims they approach him and they basically shake the hand of the prophet and i'll i'll, I'll speak exactly about how uh, they shook the hands of the prophet and they essentially pledge their allegiance to rasulullah now it's not clear 
what the terms of this pledge were. We don't have details about what they specifically pledged to the Prophet. But there are some, uh, some narrations, some reports that say that they pledged that they would not flee if they are attacked. So if Quraysh or if any of the enemies of Islam or any of Quraysh's allies, if they attack, the Prophet took a pledge for that from them that they would remain steadfast, that they would defend, that they would not run away. Now other others say that no, they didn't just pledge that they would not flee. They pledged that they would stand, they would remain steadfast, and they would fight till the death. This was the nature of the bay'ah that they gave to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. Now whatever, whatever the terms were, whether it's to not flee if we're attacked or to fight until the, the, the death, it's clear that the Prophet sallallahu wanted to renew their commitment to him, their devotion to him, their allegiance to him. This pledge, Bay'atul Ridwan, is actually mentioned in the Holy Quran. And it's mentioned in Surah Al-Fatih. You know, we mentioned in our previous episode that the Treaty of Hudaybiyah is alluded to in the first ayah, uh, very clearly in the first ayah of Surah Al-Fatih. And Bay'atul Ridwan, these verses are revealed uh, uh, in response to uh, during the time of Bay'atul Ridwan. So we, we look at Surah Al-Fatih, verse number 10, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُبَايِعُونَكَ إِنَّمَا يُبَايِعُونَ اللَّهِ It's a very powerful verse, beautiful ayah of the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by reminding the Sahaba who Rasulullah is. Allah says, indeed, those who pledge allegiance to you, Ya Rasulullah, they are actually pledging allegiance to Allah. Look at the lofty position of the Prophet. Don't think that, you know, Muhammad is just some tribal leader. Don't think that he's just the head of state and paying allegiance to him is just like, you know, paying allegiance to any, you know, king or emperor. No. Paying allegiance to the Prophet is paying allegiance to God Himself. Look at the, the lofty maqam of Rasulullah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yadullahi fawqa aydihim. The hand of Allah is over their hands. When the pilgrims, when the Sahaba came to the Prophet and they were giving him bay'ah, the way that they give bay'ah is they extend their hand and Rasulullah puts his hand above their hand. And this is to signify that the Prophet's authority is above them. That they are under the authority of Rasulullah. Now here in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is essentially describing the hand of the Prophet as the hand of God. Now, of course, Allah doesn't have a hand. But the point here being is that paying allegiance to Rasulullah is like paying allegiance to Allah. That the hand, the blessed hand of Rasulullah is the metaphorical hand of God. 
This is not a normal hand that you are pledging allegiance to. This is the metaphorical hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَمَنْ The ayah continues, فَمَنْ نَكَثَ فَإِنَّمَا يَنْكُثُ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ وَمَنْ أَوْفَى بِمَا عَاهَدَ عَلَيْهُ اللَّهِ فَسَيُؤْتِيهِ أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا Allah says, so he who breaks his word only breaks it to the detriment of himself. If you violate the the uh, the pledge that you made to the Prophet, you're not hurting the you're hurting yourself because you're you're violating the a pledge that you made to Allah. You can't hurt Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. You're hurting yourself. وَمَنْ أَوْفَى بِمَا عَاهَدَ عَلَيْهُ اللَّهِ فَسَيُؤْتِيهِ أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا And he who fulfills that which he has promised Allah. Those who promise to not flee if, if they are attacked. Those who promise and vow to fight along Rasulullah until the death. He will give him a great reward. A great reward awaits those who are steadfast who are loyal to the Prophet and who are willing to sacrifice alongside the Prophet. Then we go a few verses ahead to ayah number 18. And this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the... He mentions specifically the tree, you know, because the the bay'ah, bay'atul radwan happened under that acacia tree that we mentioned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this ayah, ayah number 18 of Surah Al-Fatih, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ Certainly, Allah was pleased with the believers when they pledged allegiance to you, O Muhammad. فَعَلِمَ مَا فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ فَأَنزَلَ السَّكِينَةَ عَلَيْهِمْ وَأَثَابَهُمْ فَتْحًا قَرِيبًا Certainly Allah was pleased with the believers when they pledged allegiance to you, O Muhammad, under the tree. So this is a direct reference to Bay'atul Radwan. And he knew what was in their hearts. So he sent down tranquility upon them and rewarded them with an imminent... Conquest. He rewarded them with Fathan Qariba, which is a reference to the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, which we will speak about, inshallah. Now, this verse has generated a lot of debate between Sunni ulama and Shia ulama. According to the Sunni view, now again, there might be some exceptions, but the, the well-known, the, the dominant, traditional Sunni view is that the divine satisfaction, you know, because the ayah says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ That surely, verily, without a doubt, Allah is pleased with the believers when they pledged allegiance to you. So Sunni scholars, they say, look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is explicitly saying that he is pleased with those sahaba that pledged allegiance to the Prophet. And they see this divine pleasure upon the sahaba who gave the bay'ah at bay'atul radwan 
They see it as unconditional, unqualified, and eternal. And therefore, those companions who were present at Bay'atul Ridwan, they are especially venerated in the Sunni tradition and they are held in the highest regard. And some have expanded this verse to say that, you know, this verse sometimes is even cited to establish the righteousness of all of the companions, right? لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ You know, this is why when a companion is mentioned, they say, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ right? May Allah be pleased with them. They say because Allah tells us in the Qur'an that He's pleased with them. So if Allah is pleased with them, we should also be pleased with them. Who are we to question their faith and their righteousness if Allah says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Now, what is our response to this? Number one, we have to first highlight that this ayah does not refer to the righteousness of all of the Sahaba. Because those who gave bay'ah, who gave allegiance to the Prophet at Bay'atul Ridwan in the valley of Hudaybiyyah, they were no more than 1800. If you take the maximum number that, are, that is mentioned, more likely it was 1400 max to 1600 but let's say 1800 let's take the highest estimation the prophet sallallahu when he departed this world the, the reports tell us that he had upwards of a hundred thousand he had over a hundred thousand companions thus this verse cannot be extended to subsume all of the sahaba at the very at the ver, if, if we if we say that this is in reference to all of those who gave bay'ah to the Prophet. In Bay'at al-Radwan, at most, it confirms the righteousness of 1800, not all of the Sahaba. This is number one. It's also important, number two, another observation that we make with this ayah is that the continuity of Allah's pleasure upon those who gave allegiance to the Prophet is contingent. It's not unqualified. It's not, this is not something that's unconditional. It is contingent upon them not breaking their pledge to the Prophet. Because it, what does the ayah say? If you go back to the ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if we go back to ayah number 10, so he who breaks his word only breaks it to the detriment of himself. So one of the most important conditions is that this is referring to those who were true to that pledge. Who were loyal to the Prophet, who fought for the Prophet, who never fled, who were willing to fight to the death to uphold the principles of Islam. Now, and this is something that was also understood by the Sahaba themselves. So, for example, so it was understood even by those who were there at Bay'atul Radwan that this is not something that was unconditional. 
an important condition is that you don't break the terms of that pledge. That is how you continue to earn that pleasure of Allah. Yes, Allah was pleased with us in that moment that we gave the bay'ah. But for the divine pleasure to continue, you have to remain committed to that pledge. And this is where we see فَقَدْ أَخْرَجَ الْبُخَارِ فِي صَحِيحِهِ Sahih al-Bukhari mentions a narration on Al-Ala ibn al-Musayyab. Al-Ala ibn al-Musayyab, he reports from his father, who is likely, I believe, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyab. He says, he is one of the tabi'een, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyab, one of the second generation Muslims. He says, I met Laqeetu al-Bara ibn Azib. I met, I met with Al-Bara ibn Azib, who was one of the companions of the Prophet. And he was one of those companions who was present at Bay'atul Ridwan, at the Pledge of Ridwan. So, Sa'id ibn al-Musayyab, this second generation Muslim, who never met the Prophet, but he, he met and interacted with the companions. He says to Al-Bara ibn Azib, Tuba lak, you know, how fortunate are you? Oh, Bara. He says, Sahibta Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa bayahtahu tahta shajara. So Sa'id ibn al Musayyab says to Al Bara ibn Azib, who is a companion of the Prophet, he says, How lucky are you, O Bara, that you accompanied the Prophet and you gave bay'ah to him under the tree. So he's praising him for being among those who gave bay'ah to the Prophet at Bay'atul Radwan. What is the response of Al-Bara ibn Azib? And this is mentioned in Bukhari. فَقَالَ يَبْنَ أَخِي إِنَّكَ لَا تَدْرِي مَا أَحْدَثْنَاهُ بَعْدَهُ He says to him, O cousin, you don't know what we did after him. You don't know what we did after Rasulullah. So here Al-Bara ibn Azib is saying that, listen, don't be too lavish in your praise because you don't know what happened after the death, the death of the Prophet. So here he's implying what? That we were not true. We, we did not remain loyal to that pledge that we made. So even Al-Bara ibn Azib understands that this praise, this divine pleasure is conditional upon us upholding the pledge, the terms of the pledge that we made. Furthermore, we also have a narration, a conversation between Abu Bakr and uh, uh, between Rasulullah and Abu Bakr at the Battle of Uhud. And this is mentioned by uh, Malik ibn Anas in his Muwatta. An Abi Nadr, Mawla Umar ibn Ubaidillah, annahu balagahu Umar ibn Ubaidullah, he says it was uh, reported to me, it has reached me that أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله قال لشهداء أحد هؤلاء أشهد عليهم The Prophet صلى الله عليه وآله on the day of Uhud He looked at his companions who were martyred in the battle of Uhud and he says I will bear witness for you meaning I will bear witness that you were steadfast, that you were pious, that you laid your lives down for Islam. I will bear witness that you fulfilled your pledge to me, that you died as martyrs, 
you fulfilled that covenant with Allah. فَقَالَ أَبُوْ بَكْرِ Abu Bakr, he says to the Prophet, أَلَسْنَا يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ بِإِخْوَانِهِمْ Ya Rasulullah, how about us? Aren't we their brothers? Aslamna kama aslamu. They they became Muslim. They submitted just as we submitted. Wajahadna kama jahadu. And we fought just like they fought, but they they earned they were killed, but we also fought. Why don't you bear witness that we are also steadfast, that we are also, you know, we also fulfilled that covenant? فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمُ بَلَى وَلَكِنْ لَا أَدْرِي مَا تَحْدِثُونَ بَعْدِي The Prophet says, yes, you are their brothers. But I don't know what you are going to do after me. فَبَكَى أَبُو بَكْرِ Abu Bakr began, began to cry. فَبَكَى أَبُو بَكْرِ ثُمَّ بَكَى ثُمَّ قَالْ is that really going to happen after you, Ya Rasulullah, that we're not going to be faithful to that covenant? So you see, there is this understanding that we can't say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just He's unconditionally pleased with a companion. No, they're, they're, the condition is that they remain steadfast. They remain loyal to the terms of their pledge. Number three is that when you go to the ayah, when you go to verse number 18, where Allah says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجْرَةِ Certainly Allah was pleased with the believers when they pledge allegiance to you. Shaykh Al-Tusi in his tafsir, in tafsir al-tibyan, he says, wait a minute. He says, you have to understand that Allah is pleased with who? Allah is pleased with individuals who have fulfilled two conditions. People who have iman and people who pledge allegiance to the Prophet. So the verse doesn't say Allah was pleased with those who pledged allegiance. No, Allah is pleased with the mu'mineen who pledged allegiance to the Prophet. So Shaykh Al-Tusi says God was pleased with the people who pledged their allegiance to the Prophet and were mu'mineen at the time. Now the question is, is everyone who was around the Prophet at Bay'atul Radwan, were they 100% mu'mineen? We have to make a distinction between someone who has who is Muslim and someone who is mu'min. It's not the same. In fact, the Quran tells us that you cannot judge a person's iman based on just what you see. You can't assume that someone is a mu'min Yes, you can't deny that they're Muslim. But you can't affirm that someone is a mu'min just because they perform certain actions. Because iman is a matter of the heart. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Hujurat. قَالَتِ الْأَعْرَابُ The Bedouins, they say, the Bedouins say, we have believed. We have iman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs the Prophet to say back to them, to reply to them, Qullam tu'minu. Say you have not yet believed, you don't have iman. Walakin qulu aslamna. But say instead, we have submitted. Submission is different from faith. 
Because Iman has not yet entered your heart. So, Shaykh Al-Tusi here is saying, Shaykh Al-Tusi here is saying that the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is being directed, that those whom Allah is pleased with are those who, who gave bay'ah and who have Iman in their hearts. Who says that that applies to everybody who gave bay'ah? Now some have tried to argue that, okay, there, because there's no doubt that the Prophet has munafiqeen around, them, around him. Munafiqeen are around the Prophet. We, we mentioned there is an entire surah called Surah Al-Munafiqoon. Now some have tried to argue that there were no hypocrites with the Prophet in Hudaybiyah. They say no, because the Munafiqeen didn't join. They stayed, the, the, especially the Bedouins, the Munafiqeen made excuses. So there were no Munafiqeen with the Prophet in Hudaybiyah. And hence we can assume that all of the companions who made the pledge were believers because the Munafiqeen were already filtered out. Now we mentioned, brothers and sisters, in our previous session that that's not true because who also was among who was with the Muslims in Hudaybiyah Abdullah ibn Ubay who is the chief of the Munafiqeen when the Prophet through a miracle he made the wells fill with water after they were dry what did what did uh, Abdullah ibn Ubay say he said that this, I've seen this before this is not a mu'jizah so the chief of the munafiqeen was there. So we can't say that there were no munafiqeen with the Prophet in Hudaybiyah. Furthermore, Al-Waqidi, in his Al-Maghazi, he reports that Quraysh, وَيُنْقَلُونَ أَنَّ قُرَيْشًا أَرْسَلَتْ The Quraysh sent, أَرْسَلَتْ إِلَىٰ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ ibn أَبِي ibn Ubay. إِنْ أَحْبَبْتَ أَنْ تَدْخُلْ فَتَطُوفْ بِالْبَيْتِ فَفْعَلْ So, Abdullah ibn Ubay is with the Prophet. He's the chief of the Munafiqeen. Al-Waqidi says that Quraysh in Mecca, they sent a message to Abdullah ibn Ubay that if you want to come, if you want to enter Mecca and do tawaf, you can, you're, you're permitted. The narration says, وَابْنُهُ جَالِسٌ عِنْدَهِ His son, the son of Abdullah ibn Ubay, the son of the chief of the Munafiqeen, was sitting with his father. فَقَالَ لَهُ ابْنُهُ His son, the son said to the father, يَا أَبَتِي أُذَكِّرُكَ اللَّهِ أَن تَفْضَحَنَا فِي كُلِّ مَوْطَنَ I ask you, you know, not to expose us everywhere you go. So here is a very clear indication. So his son is saying, تَطُوفُوا بِالْبَيْتِ وَلَمْ يَطُفْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Are you going to go and do tawaf before the Prophet does tawaf? Don't make problems. So, فَأَبَى إِبْنُ أَبِي فَأَبَى إِبْنُ أُبَيْ So, Abdullah ibn Ubay decided that it wasn't a good idea, it wasn't a good idea for him to enter Mecca and do tawaf. وَقَالَ لَا أَطُوفُ حَتَّى يَطُوفُ Rasulullah, I'm not going to do tawaf until the Prophet does tawaf. فَبَلَغَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَعَلَيْهِ The Prophet heard this 
And he was happy to hear that. The point here being that there were munafiqeen with the Prophet at Hudaybiyah. At the very least, you have Abdullah ibn Ubay. And Abdullah ibn Ubay is not an, he is the head of the munafiqeen. He's the chief of the munafiqeen. He was there. So the assertion that there were no munafiqeen with the Prophet in Hudaybiyah is demonstratively false. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He reveals uh, uh, other verses related to the incident of Hudaybiyah. And inshallah, we'll leave that for our uh, next session. Inshallah, in our next episode, we will speak about the specifics of the negotiation that took place between the Prophet and between uh, Quraysh. And we'll look at the uh, the terms of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah and the, re- the different reactions from the side of Quraysh and from the side of the companions of the Prophet. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters, for tuning in. And I look forward to having you join me in upcoming episodes of the life of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. وآخر دعوانا إن الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على محمد وآله الطاهرين